The reading that we have the privilege to ponder for a few minutes today comes from Romans chapter 12. You can find it printed in your worship folder or in the Pew Bibles on page 1616. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of our God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. In January 1956, Blue Ribbon Sports was founded as a company. They were the U.S. distributor of a Japanese running shoe that would eventually be known as ASICS. But after a few years, they wanted to make their own running shoe under their own brand. The only problem was they didn't have a name. And they had their their first batch of shoes ready to go, and they had to have a name by 9 a.m. the next morning so that they could put it on their shoe boxes. The names Bengal, Peregrine, and Dimension 6 were batted around to see, is this the name of the shoe and maybe the company that we'd like to have? But there was really no consensus. And so everyone slept on it, and, and the next morning, one of the managers came up with the name that they eventually went with. Even though it was not a very popular or unanimous decision, they said, let's try it. That name? Nike. For the Greek-winged goddess of victory. Since that time... Nike has dominated the sports landscape. It's dominated the business landscape as well. And so it is really a a fitting name for a company, the name Victory. Because it's a name that any one of us would probably want to aspire to. Whether it be in our own business, whether it be in our, our personal lives, whether it be in the endeavors of sports or jobs or careers. Put plainly, If you had a choice between winning or losing, I think most people, if not all, would want to pick the winning side. The winning side in your sports endeavors, winning side in business, jobs, careers. Sometimes even the winning side in family matters too. Just the whole competition either between siblings wanting to be the best Or even saying that my family is better than than your family. And it's this, with this competitive spirit, 
that we shouldn't be all that surprised that the Bible also talks about victory. The Bible also talks about winning. The Bible also talks about conquering. And in fact, that very Greek word Nike is used twice in the verses that you just heard from Romans. Actually, it's used twice in one single verse, and that was the last verse that we read. And that verse was this. It, it gives us God's winning strategy. Do not be overcome or conquered by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, the victory that God is talking about is not a victory in your sports endeavors. It's not a victory in your job or career. It's, it's not even a victory for having a successful life here on this earth. But he's talking about a victory for everlasting life. And that's the winning strategy that, that Paul, as he writes in Romans, is talking about. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, what exactly does that mean? It might seem like one of those cute bumper sticker slogans that you might have. Maybe something you'd post on social media. Overcome evil with good. And yet the way that Paul tells us it's done is anything but easy, is anything but inspiring. And in fact, the way that Paul tells us we need to overcome evil with good, it seems downright crazy. And we got to realize that when Paul was writing this to the first century Roman church, it probably seemed just as crazy to them as it does for us today. Because the first century Rome and 21st century America are actually two very similar places. First century Rome, 21st century America both run on power, aggression, and force to be able to get your way to be able to have your opinions or, or your ideas put forth. The Roman army was one of the most powerful fighting forces known to man. They were ruthless and vicious. Nobody messed with them. Commonplace was cutthroat and backstabbing to be able to get ahead. And if you didn't have the power and the influence, you certainly tried to find people that did have that power and influence and tried to ingratiate yourself to those people. Tried to give your opinion and say, this is the way we need to do it. Your ideas, your background, and try and force them upon other people. And even in the church, both in Rome and even today, can be no exception. Because it's not as if we can somehow leave at the door that, that whole sense of competitiveness, that whole sense of superiority, and just turn that side of our brain off. In fact, if you ponder what the Roman church would have looked like. It was perhaps one of the most diverse Christian churches that there would have been. Because the city of Rome itself was a melting pot for civilizations, cultures, and traditions. You would have had the Romans there, you would have had Greeks, you would have had Jews, and who knows how many other cultures that there were. You would have had people in the, the highest echelon of society, the richest of the rich, and you would have had the poorest of the poor and everything in between. You had slaves. You had free people. And chances are, the Roman congregation probably had pockets of each of these different groups of people with their different backgrounds, their different ideas, their different perspectives on life and how to live life and how to run an organization. 
And yet Paul, in his letter to the Romans, sought one thing, to unify them all, to unify them all in one mission. And it could just as well be summarized by that last verse that we heard today. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Might seem like a good bumper sticker slogan. Overcome evil with good. Then we get down to the nitty-gritty of what exactly that overcoming evil looks like. Listen to what Paul meant by overcoming evil with good. Bless those who persecute you. Do not be proud. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not take revenge. In short, don't treat people how you think they deserve to be treated. Instead, treat them better. That's not only the people that you enjoy getting along with, but even those people you don't always get along with, the people that get on your nerves, the people that bug you, those people you disagree with. Don't treat them with contempt. Don't get up on your high horse and say, because I say so, you need to do what I want you to do. Don't say why your opinion is better or strong arm your way into being done. That's what it means, overcoming evil with good. And as great of a bumper sticker slogan as that sounds like, the problem comes when I compare what Paul is saying with how I've lived my life. Because it doesn't take too long for me to be able to see how there is a disconnect there. It's because I don't like to ask God's blessing upon those people that I disagree with or who disagree with me. I may be able to get along with a number of different people, but there are still those some that I don't always like getting along with. There have been times when I've said one thing to someone's face and thought another thing behind their back. Or when I've said something that I haven't even meant. I haven't always gone out of my way to make sure that the people I'm not close with are taken care of. Now I can come up with a list of excuses for why I haven't followed this winning strategy, but it's not going to matter. I can double down and, and try even harder according, to live according to this winning strategy, but that doesn't even matter either. I could throw my hands in the air and say it doesn't matter because nobody lives according to this winning strategy anyway. I mean, seriously, blessing your enemies? That doesn't make any sense. Or we could come to the conclusion that God and Paul want us to come to. That no matter how hard we try, we have been overcome by evil. The evil in the world has overcome us. The evil of the devil has overcome us. The evil of our own sinful heart has overcome us and, and sprouted out into evils against other people as well. To realize that we have no one to blame for this but ourselves, because of this evil, we deserve nothing more than eternal wrath from God in hell. It shouldn't be all that surprising that evil has conquered and overcome us. Because evil has been around since nearly the beginning. 
From the time when the devil tempted our first parents, Adam and Eve, to eat that forbidden fruit, he conquered them. And he's been conquering each and every person since that time. We stood no chance. Yet that's what makes the second half of Paul's verse so interesting. Do not be overcome by evil. You know that's not happening on our own. But overcome evil with good. And the good that Paul is talking about is not a good that's found within us. It's not a good that's found with, with doubling down and trying even harder than we already have. Those things aren't going to work, but rather it is a good that's found outside of us. It's a good that's shown this winning strategy is in fact a winning strategy, and it has already worked. Because that good was carried out by none other than our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if you look back on our reading from Romans chapter 12, on all of the things that, that we are to do to overcome evil with good, the blessing of our enemies, blessing of those who persecute us, in each and every instance, Jesus did exactly that. He blessed those who persecuted him. He mourned with those who mourned. He was not proud, even though he had every reason to be proud. He was not conceited or thought more of himself than he ought. He didn't take revenge. He cared for and loved his enemies. At first, we might think, what did this get him? Just a date with the cross. And yet, even there, he showed love to his enemies more than to himself. And those enemies were not simply the religious leaders and the Pharisees who put him up there. Those enemies were you and me. Jesus went to the cross for you and for me. And it was this, it was the ultimate good that overcame the evil of the devil, the evil of this world, and the evil that dwells within each and every one of our hearts. Jesus' good conquered it all. And it was shown to be a winning strategy, not just for this life, but especially for the life to come, that those who put their hope in this good have eternal life. So now that bumper sticker slogan, overcome evil with good, takes on new meaning. Because evil will still befall us as Christians. Evil will come from the world around us. It will come from within us. It will come from those close to us. And yes, it'll even come from those within the church at times. And if we fight this on our own, we're going to lose. We can't afford to lose in God's church because God realizes that anytime there's division, disputes, fighting, arguing about opinions, backgrounds, or what we should do in worship, it's not the stronger opinion who wins. It's the devil. Because the devil has divided us and taken us, taken our focus off of the true mission of the church. And so that's why we always need to go back to the good that has already conquered the evil and have that be our foundation. And so that instead of being part of the problem, we can be part of the solution. Setting aside our pride, so instead of taking pride in our own opinions, our own backgrounds, we can take pride in the victory that Christ has won, overcoming evil with good.
And it's only when we're united in this winning strategy that we can carry out our mission as the church to be able to share this winning strategy with others, how Christ has overcome good, or overcome evil with good. Have you ever heard that legend, or the ancient legend of how the marathon was started? I'm sure Ashley has. She's a runner. It was to commemorate a Greek messenger who ran from the plains of Marathon to the ancient city of Athens, some 25 miles, to declare a victory of the Greek soldiers over the massive Persian army. And when he got to Athens, he declared in Greek, Nike, Nike, or victory, victory. And then promptly, because of the fighting as well as the running, fell down dead. And so the marathon is now run in commemoration of that first runner. Now, whether you are a runner or not, each and every one of us is running the marathon of life. And like a marathon, life can be difficult. It can be hard. But like that ancient Greek messenger, when we get to the end of our life, we too will be able to shout victory. Victory not because of anything that we have done or any accomplishments of our own, but because of the great and heroic deed that Christ has done for us. For it is God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ when he overcame evil with good. And it's not just at the end of our life that we get to declare victory, but we get to declare that victory now. We get to share that victory now, and we get to enjoy that victory in heaven. Amen. Now may he who began a good work in you carry it out to completion in the day of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.